Disney Vault Talk presents Rebel Yell. Star Wars Rebels discussion and commentary. With your hosts, Teresa Delgado and Steve Lawson, and a few surprises along the way. And now, Disney Vault Talk's Rebel Yell. In the shadow of the release of a Star Wars story called Rogue One, we are together to celebrate the mid-season finale of Rebels. We have Darth Maul back. We have Clancy Brown back. We have all kinds of uh, action and suspense and reveals to discuss and talk about. And it's going to be a big, uh, chunky episode. And uh, to help break through and break down all the chunkiness, welcome back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, excited to have her on because we're talking about, as she says, her boyfriend, uh, Darth Maul, of course. Uh, This is the lovely, the talented, the powerful, Teresa Delgado. Hello, Teresa. Hey. I should just be called Teresa Malgado. Teresa Malgado. Malgado. (laughs) Okay. Done. (laughs) Done. (laughs) We, we've done it. We've got it down. I will make a note of it. Making a note. Teresa M-A-U-L Gatto. All right. And, of course, with us, uh, he's been uh, filling in for Teresa these past few months and uh, has been doing a fantastic job, and we're glad to have him with us tonight. He's mo- he's part of what we call our Jedi Council here. He is my brother from another mother, co-host of Mile High Tundra and Geek Out Loud's Pass the Corn Eris Chernovice. Hey, brother. What's up, my brother? What's happening? Hanging what, out. What if we... Counting the, count the days down. Yeah. Rogue One. At this point, at the time of recording... I'm what, so excited to sleep. What, at this point of recording, we're at technically four, but because of... Um, no, we're going to see it Thursday night. Right, right. Three, really, but... Just saying, they still say it's being released on Friday, even though the midnight showings have now been pushed back across the board on these things to 7 p.m. shows. I remember when it was 8 p.m., and that was kind of like, all right, good. Yeah. But for no, old. I have 7 o'clock Thursday night. And I really. Whole row, whole row recliners reserved. And I got to tell you, as someone who used to do midnight shows all the time, uh, I mean, for even things like Spider Man 3, I was at Spider Man 3 at a midnight showing for Crying Out Loud just for the joy of it. Now, Spider Man, Spider Man Three. Spider. Was there more than one Spider Man in that movie? No, it was. That's how you pronounce that word, right? Spider Man. Spider Man. Oh, I always thought it was his last name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Phil Spider Man. That's a Friends reference, ladies and gentlemen. On Rebel Yell. I need to correct you on something real quick. Okay. He is no longer Darth Maul. He's just Maul. He's just Maul. No longer a Sith Lord. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you for the correction. And uh, I will I will probably mess up many more times and call him Darth Maul. So, because in my heart, he'll always be Darth to me. He's no longer a Sith Lord. 
Elaine. No, but he's, to me, he's Darth. Elaine. Some people That's know what him. I call him. Some people know him only as Maul, but he'll always be Darth to me. Also with us on this episode, he's being so kind and silent and uh, not getting in on the shenanigans, which you'll have to change that, sir. Uh, he is a player insights manager on EA Star Wars games. He's the author and contributor to several Star Wars books. Uh, including absolutely everything you need to know, the Star Wars edition, along with a previous guest, Adam Bray. He's done Lego Star Wars Chronicles of the Force with Adam Bray uh, back in November, this past November. Scant weeks ago, Star Wars Builders Droids was released, and he has his fingerprints all over that as well. Contributed to StarWars.com, Run Disney, and Marvel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Cole Horton. Cole, thanks for being with us, man. Oh, thanks for having me, and I promise shenanigans. I'm all over it. Okay, I'm all in. good, good. Uh, we love the shenanigans around here. That's, in fact, we've been told that that's one of the things that people like about our show is the shenanigans. So, we'll uh, we we endeavor. Cole, Cole is wearing the proper amount of flair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've slipped in a Friends reference. I tried to slip in a Seinfeld reference, and now there's Office Space, ladies and gentlemen. What more do you want from a Star Wars podcast, for crying out loud? Hey, you brought up shenanigans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have some for you, sir. I have some for you. Uh, listeners to the Big Honkin' Show will know that... Um, our good friend Shaz Bazaar, who was on our last episode, Stuart told us from Techno Retro Dads, uh, has become an, a, a constant contributor with various and sundry parody songs. And um, last episode, we kind of got hung in on some Iron Maiden as Thrawn's entrance music, as though he were some kind of a wrestler. And, um, well, Shaz came through. Uh, with a little parody DJ song. DJ Shazzy Chaz. That's right. This is uh, Shaz's parody of Run for the Hills. It's called Thrawn Aims to Kill. Thrawn's entrance music. A blue man crossed the galaxy. He studied art and history. We wondered what red eyes could see. We had to flee They fought him hard And fought him well And Sato's hammer Had much to tell And rebels fighting To be free Still wondered what Red eyes would see From Oakthal's wool factories To the jungle from the heights of the hills to the plains On Ryloth the Twi'leks are burning their homes Fighting him for family names Time and again he keeps driving them back Fighting his time till he comes to attack Wrong names to his workers to face their demise the lives in the palm of his hand ruthlessly killing while forging his mold enslaving the young and destroying the old <laughs> 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 
Little Shaz Bazaar, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wow. That was amazing. So I'm just, cause we're publishing Tim Zahn's Thrawn novel in April. And like now I want to do a special edition where you open the book and that just that song plays. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, I'm sure we can get the rights to, to the music and, and I'll get in the studio with Shaz and we'll record a real special version of it if you want to do we'll call that. it the, the thron aims to kill it that's right that's right we got you that's got... great <laughs> I, oh, that i've heard it amazing. i've heard it already i've listened to it like twice already because he sent it to me like last week and and even now just listening because he hits those notes and he and he rocks the harmonies with himself just right and i'm just I love a good parody, and he throws in things like Lethal, the Junlin Waste, the Twi'leks uh, burning their homes, you know, which is a reference to the Hera episode, and oh, so good, so good. That's so, that's that's right up there with your your Maz Kanata. Oh well, thank. I don't know. I think he I think he outdid Maz Kanata. Now I got to be honest with you, Shaz Shaz has has exceeded me in his parody skills, if I'm being honest. Just out, out of sheer prolificness, if you listen to the Big Honkin' show, there was a point in there where, like, every other day he was sending me... I, I'm like, what is this guy doing? He was sending me something every other day for the show. It was fantastic. So, Shaz, thank you so much for that, sir. We appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank yeah, we you. Need a, we need, like, a Hallmark card that has Thrawn on the front, you know, like the musical card, <laughs> and you open it, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> Thrawn aims to kill. We got to figure out something to do with that at, at Thrawnabration in April too. <laughs> I say we we put, we do something. We put it on a CD and then we play it at the Del Rey booth. <laughs> I, I am all for that. You know, maybe we have like a gathering of all the Thrawn cosplayers. Okay. Well, Del that's Ray that's booth. what I was about to say. Surely, <laughs> you know, and, and have that playing while it's happening well here's my thing surely there is a th i know at least one member of the 501st um and surely there's a thrawn cosplayer out there somewhere who would be willing to let a stormtrooper follow him around with a boom box playing this <laughs> <laughs> i think that would be perfection so or uh, he could have uh Here's what I'm thinking. I think it should be Hondo Anaka with the boombox following him yes. around. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Mind blown. <laughs> I mean, we know somebody who cosplays as Hondo, That's right? right. That's right. And he could be walking around. Listen to this song, everyone. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into these episodes. Um, well, let's, let's, let's talk to our guest a little bit. Oh, here. sure. You, you're right. You rattled off all of the, all of his accomplishments and everything he's done. Well, I got to be honest with you, Cole. You hadn't pooped in a cemetery, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I am no Adam Bray. Uh, that's really the the summary of all of it. Uh, but I try my best. Uh, you no, try. Thank you guys for having me. I, I'm just. I mean, what a week, right? Like talking about Star Wars this week. There's really no better time. Um, I just hope, like, these episodes were freaking amazing. And with all the excitement for the film, I, I just hope everyone doesn't miss out on these. Right? They're, they're just too perfect. And really, I feel like setting up something huge. Indeed. Well, in, yeah, in yeah. full disclosure, um, Teresa has seen the movie. Was it today you saw it? Press, press screening, Teresa? Si, senor. Okay. And... Um, 
and Arish, you know, he doesn't know anything about Star Wars that's going on. So, um, you know, I, Cole, have you been privy to see the movie yet? I have not. Nope. I'm okay. going to see it Thursday at the same time as just, just everybody else. Now, now, then, Cole, I guess this is a discussion for me and you real quick. Have you seen the TV spot with the ghost? I have. Oh, I have, yeah. I mean, um, it, it hit my Facebook feed, I feel like, instantly. And then I, I felt like I had to seek it out. Yes. Well, I was. I saw that. And what was great, uh, my friend Derek had texted me. He said, is this the ghost? And he sent me a link to the YouTube video and the, and the actual picture you know that they have in the youtube window before you hit play you know you saw i'm like yeah that's the ghost i mean just a minute i'm like that's the ghost and of course i'm just that much more excited for it and everything tell me this cole just changing subjects real quick what does a player insights manager do uh, i do all of our our research for our EA Star Wars games. So if you've ever taken a survey in a game, if you've ever um, been part of a focus group about a game, that's me behind the scenes running okay. that. Okay, cool. And does that help Does that help you guys develop new games? Like kind of figure out what the players are looking for in the games? Yeah, always. I mean, we're always looking at feedback and, and trying to listen to people. And so that's my job is to just gather that up and present that. Um, and then I do a, a fair amount of just being the the star wars nerd on the team as well so uh you know looking at characters and opportunities there as well he can draw so, bb8 <laughs> uh, yeah every once in a while i do uh when i sign a book or something i try to throw in a sketch and i turned it turns out i can't draw humans i can't draw faces but i can draw droids so my my staple uh droid is bb8 Mm-hmm. Now I have one. I mean, look, Cole, I, you're a guest, and I appreciate you being here. But so basically, you're telling me you can draw a circle and a semicircle on top of that, <laughs> with a few circles inside of it. Okay, it, it's All really right. brilliant. I promise. Okay, um, I think we're we're really underselling it's it. It's really brilliant. Uh, you yeah. know, for kids. Steve. Sure, <laughs> sure, gotcha, gotcha. Or for uh, Teresa, whichever. Because when he drew it for me, I was like, "This is amazing." So hmm, thank you. You I'd know, like if it think... entertains me, then it's going to entertain all of the children in the world. <laughs> well, and I so... started doing it because, you know, like when you when you sit down for the first time as an author to sign books and, and previously I would have been on the other side of the table in line. Um, and I felt like well, nobody really cares about my autograph. So at least I'll give them a sketch. Uh, maybe maybe that's worth standing in line for. And so I, I just keep it up today. Oh. So how did you get into writing for DK? Uh, I think it really started because I was doing stuff on StarWars.com. Okay. And I had been writing uh, on there before, um, you know, new new films were announced. And, um, you know, it was just sort of around during that period where things started to ramp up again. And they were looking for, for new authors. And uh, turns out I can I can write short sentences and paragraphs of, of knowledge and had, had tried to keep up on everything I do. I read every last thing that comes out. Um, and just try to stay current on on all the facts and keep that knowledge up. And then every once in a while, they call me up, and I get to to apply it to a book. Well, now you you read everything that comes out, and again, I, we're going all over the place, but that's fine. Uh, have you have you plowed through Catalyst yet? I have. Yeah, I just finished it over the weekend. All right. I definitely want to make sure I got through it before Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Teresa, did you read Catalyst? 
I did, and actually, thank you for bringing that up. Um, Bookworms actually just released today as we speak, which is December 12th, our episode of the show where we reviewed Catalyst, because we wanted to do it before the movie came out. And so we reviewed Catalyst, and I think we had a lot of fun doing it. So if you've read it, head on over to the Star Wars Bookworms um, podcast on iTunes and download that episode before you see the movie. Now, Irish Catalyst is a book that was published that actually takes place prior to Rogue One. It's a lead-in, basically, for the Rogue One movie. I don't know if you know that or not. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Well, (laughs) thank thank you for playing along. (laughs) What do you think of Catalyst, Cole? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I feel like, though, in, in a lot of ways, the big payoff for Catalyst is going to come uh, like two and a half hours after I watch or you know, after I sit down in the theater to watch the movie. Right. Right. Like, I feel like there's just there are pieces in there. I don't even understand why they're awesome yet. <laughs> well, uh, and I will in, in four days. The, the you know, Arish told me before I read it that, you know, it was going to make just the trailers mean that much more and 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 truly it does to see Krennic walking across that field toward the Urso homestead um you know just knowing what Galen went through to be there literally spoiler alert hiding out um and to know what it means that that, oh man you just ruined the movie sorry sorry Ah, and to know and to know what it means Steve yeah I'm sorry guys sorry um but uh, Teresa, what do you think? How did you feel about it? I really enjoyed Catalyst, and I actually did the audiobook version, and it was really good. I liked Jonathan Davis and everything that he did and what he did with the voices. And um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, when I when we reviewed it the other day and now I've seen it, it's like, it's funny. My review's funny to me. <laughs> your, your review is funny to you. Yeah, my review is funny. And that's all I have to say. Because I don't know what will come out of my mouth if I keep talking. Sure, sure, sure. And Arish, I know that it was an adventure. That book was an adventure for you guys to get out. But um, uh, I got to say, we're we're really proud of that book. I think you should be. I really think you should be. Everyone involved. And, I mean, just uh, James Lucino is just such a dream to work with. He He is just one of the coolest guys ever. Mm-hmm. he's just awesome he's so much fun to hang out with at the conventions and stuff but he just i mean he delivered a fantastic book that we're we're being my colleagues at delray we're really proud of so and we're just we're thrilled to see so and see and hear about so many of you enjoying it well and as someone who writes trivia books essentially right books are just filled with facts um, catalyst is dense Every Ooh, single page, yeah. there is something in there that um, I actually, as I read everything, I always mark it up with those little stickers that say sign here. And and this book is just bristling with those, right? There's just little <laughs> things I know I'm going to want to come back to and include later on in some guide. It, it's like so many stickers that they it kind of defeats the purpose of all the stickers. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Every page has a sticker on it. So someday I'm going to go back and reread the book in its entirety. Uh, but there would be pages and there's just, you know, planets being casually mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm furiously writing those down and trying to log all of those. Uh, it, it's, it's wonderfully dense. Well, and that's, and that's something I'd talk to Irish off air about was, you know, Lucino with, with a book, even like Plagueis, which I know that's legends now. Um, but it'll it'll always be canon in my heart. Um, yeah, me too. Th- he that book could have 
been so well served to have its own appendix with it with footnotes and you know where these reference points of everything that he mentions comes from i mean he he does he does a lot of research into what he writes it seems like and uh and this book and i'm i'm and i'm with you cole it's no different in this just a dense book but not so it's dense but it's not put in such a way that it goes over it can fly right over your head and you'll be okay if you're not familiar with stuff exactly no it actually it flows right the 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 conversations all all flow in the book very nicely and if you know if you don't write trivia books right you you would maybe even go right by them Mm -hmm. um but but yeah for me i feel like it's one that you just want to go back to and sort of keep discovering yeah, you know, I really liked the way Lucino wrote this one. He's becoming one of my favorite Star Wars authors. But, like, there was a just a couple of things for me. And as you guys were talking, I remembered. I'm not very good at remembering the names of, like, different alien species and what they look like. And with the new canon stuff, when you try to look up new alien species, there are no pictures, which is super <laughs> frustrating. Because I'm like, oh, I just want to know what it looks like. And I'm like, Wikipedia, you are no help right now. <laughs> you know, because it just tells me what I already know. And then uh, uh, since I did the audiobook, I didn't have a mu- as much of a problem with this. But one of the characters in the book, his name is Haas. But apparently it's spelled has. <laughs> and so I didn't have a problem with it because I was listening to it. But Aaron made a comment about that it was really hard sometimes with some sentences. Oh, did we lose Teresa? Did I lose everybody? I'm, I'm here. still here. Uh oh, we lost Teresa. Did she mute her mic? I don't know. Uh oh. No. Oh, hello. We, oh, we, there she is. <laughs> we lost. I was talking this whole time. Oh. We could. We could. We lost you. We lost it. Yeah, we lost it. Yeah, we lost it. Aaron was having problems. I was just saying that Aaron made a comment about the name. Pause because I listened to it, so I didn't know how it was spelled. I thought it had two A's probably, but apparently only has one, and it's spelled has. Okay. And that's confusing because <laughs> there is a sentence like Arish just said. There's a sentence that's ha like has had had, or something like that, that confused some people because mm. it looks like the word has, not has. Gotcha, gotcha. We like to challenge our readers keep you on your toes and challenge the english language <laughs> i had a thought and i know we've got episodes to talk about but i, I want to get you guys thoughts on this because i was thinking <clears throat> i was watching the red carpet the other night i was doing some laundry and i was watching the whole red carpet thing and bill nye's on the red carpet for about two minutes there oh man that guy he oh, i was like dude <sighs> <laughs> But he got asked about the science of Star Wars, and this led me down a rabbit hole in my brain because we're always kind of, people are always criticizing, like, you know, explosions, not making sound, all this stuff. And I know that you've got to do that to uh, to, to get the narrative going and everything. But, um, you know, and it's a visual and audio medium, so you've got to have all this stuff. But then I got to thinking about, even in Abram's commentary, if you've watched The Force Awakens with Abram's commentary, he talks about... They can see the explosions of those planets, even though they're in a different system and that sort of thing. I, I've got a theory about the Star Wars galaxy, that it is very small. And that's how, you know, they could go from the Hoth system to Bespin without hyperdrive and it not take 45 years. You know, it only takes maybe a few weeks or days or whatever the case may be. And and that it's a, it's a much smaller 
galaxy than say our own and there, there may even be it may even be that there is some atmospheric stuff w within the confines of space in that galaxy that we don't understand so physics works different that's my theory thoughts anyone i mean for me it's star wars and so it doesn't have to make sense right and I, I, once i just told myself that and, and i still have to repeat it in my head often it's star wars it doesn't have to make sense right I just, I just say that and it comforts me because you're right. Like you, you can go down these like rabbit holes, right? And you're like, well, how does that make any sense? Um, and it, to me, it's like Star Wars is only uh, only brings up science um, when it's convenient for the story and forgets it all other times. Right. Exactly. Yep. I just I, I just thought I'm like, this is my now this is my new canon for Star Wars is the galaxy is a lot smaller than <laughs> than our galaxy. <laughs> and therefore, there's a lot more habitable worlds and stuff in, in close proximity to each other. Whatever you have to tell yourself to sleep at night. Uh, well, you know, I tell, I tell myself a lot of things um, to sleep at <laughs> night. So, all well, right, go ahead, Steve, Teresa. Greg, Greg was actually we were watching uh, Revenge of the Sith last night, there and Greg goes, "None of this would happen." It was at the beginning, you know, the space battle scene. You wouldn't be able to hear that because space, there's no sound, there's no air, blah blah blah. And I just looked at him, and we're both sitting on the couch, and I just promptly kicked him in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stop it well in that battle they weren't necessarily in outer space they were in the upper atmosphere but still he was just you know yeah it was like quit it i'm sorry I'm, i got real nerdy and geeky on you there for a second i apologize yes you kick him in the shin Teresa. he deserved it that's <laughs> that was the correct response all right um we got to get into this these episodes guys um so let's do it. We're going to start out with, of course, Inside Man, the 10th episode of uh, of the season. Teresa, overall thoughts on Inside Man and the return of Clancy Brown? Oh, man. That one, that was an interesting episode. It was good, but it was, it's strange, but it felt heavier to me than the next one, which is weird. Mm. Um, but maybe I just really wanted to get to the next one. I'm not really sure. Uh Overall, I think it was really good, and I think that it got really brutal. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, like we finally saw Thrawn really just being like indispensable, indispensable, indispensable. You shall all die. Um, it's like, dang. Yeah, Thrawn. Thrawn kind of started to let loose and and just show how how vicious he was in that episode. Cole, what were your overall just kind of general reaction to Inside Man? I. Overall, it was interesting. I liked going back to Lothal, mm -hmm. right? And and in in a lot of ways, this episode took me back to where it all started, right? Not only on that planet, but you start with a chase scene, which is how it all started in with Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Um. And so it felt familiar in one sense, but also very different, right? Because the the atmosphere, uh, the tone of the planet is so different now. The tone of the show is so different now. Um. So it was this weird, um sort of push and pull between the familiar and the new which i thought worked yeah I, I i did too it was something i was i was excited to go back to lothal and i was um and and Teresa mentioned it was a heavy episode and it really was a lot heavier than i thought it would be given what has kind of led up to it you know I, I feel like we got a few gimmies there for a few weeks in a row and then when we hit this um yeah, the, the, the atmosphere, you said it best, the atmosphere has completely changed. And and what's happening there 
on that planet is, you know, there you, you feel the real stakes of what the Empire is up to. Erish, what were your overall thoughts about an inside man? I liked it a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I did. I liked this episode a lot. I, I think there, there was a number of interesting things that happened in this episode. There was some cool stuff. It certainly raised a number of questions going forward. Things that I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to play out in the uh, in the second half of the season. So I, I think this was a strong episode, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, written by I'm going to butcher her last name. I apologize, Nicole Dubuc, uh, D-U-B-U-C. Um, this is the second episode that she's written. She wrote uh, Harris Heroes uh, earlier this season. Um, the episode where Harris got to go back to retrieve the family Calicori, mm-hmm. uh, which was another really good episode. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is two for two that she's delivered on. And uh, I'm just I'm hoping that she's got more down the pipe. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else she's going to come up with here. But I like this one a lot. Uh, completely agree let's well let's get into talking about it a little bit um as as i mentioned clancy brown was back voicing writer azadi in this episode uh we've seen him twice before um wasn't he a prisoner in one of the episodes that they set free isn't that where we first saw him in one of those episodes yes because well he was when we found out that that when we found out ezra's parents were dead he yeah he was he was in prison with Ezra's parents. Right. And, and I believe that he tried to escape with them. Mm-hmm. He's the one who basically, he's the one who revealed to Ezra that his parents were dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember that now. Um, Teresa, is he kind of the rebels? I guess he's the rebels uh, and the ghost crew's kind of connection now to Lothal. He's there. He's literally their inside man. He's kind of their, their boots on the ground. The here, but but how do you think it's going to be with him going forward after the events of this? Because as you said, heavy episode. Well, I'm trying to. So there's there's two old dudes. There's Ryder, I think, is the one that's driving the speeder that they jump on, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other old dude that is that new Ezra's father, who and I don't remember his name with the short. Well, hair. he knew he knew Ezra as well. He was from i think it goes back to season one he was a farmer mm-hmm. who lost his farm oh, that's right. to the empire that's right that's right um i'm just trying to get my people straight i would say like Ryder is kind of like the guy who's sort of taken over the rebel whatever um i don't know what you would call it rebel cell cell that's a good one I was going to say sect, S-E-C-T, but it mm-hmm. didn't sound right because, you know, the word and stuff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm sort of congested, so I didn't think it was going to come out sounding like the actual word it's supposed to be. So Cell is good. Um, and I think he is kind of the guy in charge, and so they can refer to him like they've got different people like him on all the different planets. Mm-hmm. Or I would hope they have people like him on all the sure. different planets. yeah. But he kind of seems a little bit like, let's just go and do it. Like, very not, let's think things through, let's come up with a plan. He's more like, let's just get in there and blow crap up. 
So maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of how I felt like he was. But no, I mean he definitely was, and I just wonder, Erish, if if that I don't see, I don't know, having been there in in person for so much of what the Empire's doing, it, is it surprising that Ryder would have that kind of you know just go for it attitude or? Or did he not recognize? I guess Thrawn hadn't didn't show up until into the episode, so Thrawn hadn't necessarily been there, so he didn't recognize the danger. I guess, but what or is that what? Why didn't he recognize the danger of just kind of plowing in there and going in, you know, head headlong, head first? Well, I, I think it's because you know, I think Teresa had it right in that you know since the Ghost Crew has basically left Lethal. Like he's kind of assumed their the presence that they had there before, and and he's got he doesn't have the big picture view of things the way the Ghost Crew has now. Mm-hmm. You know, he, his focus is Lethal, and so he's you know he thinks that you know their their sabotage mission within the factory and stuff that that's getting it done but he's not aware of the bigger players the empire is involving in all of this and so you know he doesn't have to be so calculated with all of his decisions they can at the time and they can afford to be a little bit more cavalier about how they approach things well, and, and I mentioned that Thrawn had kind of stepped onto the planet to kind of figure out what was the problem and what was going on. And and what we've seen of Thrawn so far this season, uh, Cole, is he's just kind of dipping his toe in and testing the Rebels, and he gives them a little bit of ground and takes back a little bit, and he's he's even let them escape on some instances just because it seems he has this bigger plan going on. Um, he didn't... He wasn't playing games in this episode, though. What... Was this another test or or was it the idea that this was Thrawn kind of whipping this particular production plan into shape did did he not care about the rebels at this point it was all about we've got to make sure production is done right and yeah i feel i feel like it was the latter Mm -hmm. right at the beginning of the episode he really does seem like he would be there because he's interested in the tie defender production which totally makes sense as you think back to lothal's history as a factory for tie fighters and the tie advanced and now now this defender so it all seems to make sense um but i say that with some hesitancy because it's thrawn after all Uh, and even when you think you haven't figured out to feel just as a character he's smarter than i am (laughs) Uh, and so so I think I know the answer, but of course it's Thrawn, so I'm not really sure. Right. Well, he's he's Thrawn. And I, what we got to see, I think, in this episode was a colder side of him that we've not seen. We've seen him be cool, you know, and we've seen him be cool under pressure, and we've seen him just kind of, you know, like in the one episode with the Iron Squadron, he sent, that, uh, he sent the one guy out just basically to get blown up. Like, he's like, you're fine. If you're going to be this way, then go fly into battle and see what happens to you. And... But here, um, you know, right down to putting the man on the speeder bike because he knows it's going to overheat and and letting the guy blow up and, um, you know, right to you, you are now all going to be responsible for testing these things. Like he, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't so much of a test, but it was like, all right, I've, you know, I see your little sabotage and I raise you the stakes here of, You'll test it, and that way you'll make sure it works right. And it just seemed to be a much more callous 
kind of uncaring. He does not care about the lives of these people at all, which, of course, he shouldn't. He's the Empire. But it's that it's a side of Thrawn. It's the extension of a side of Thrawn. I don't think we've seen that go that far yet, I guess. is And, and so I'm like you, you know, is this... I don't know that this was show for the Rebels, for the Ghost Crew, though. I think it was more or less... Um, whipping people into shape and, and saying you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing or people will die. Um, yeah. You mentioned the tie defenders that they're, that they're building there. And I really thought um, that, you know, the whole point of everything they were doing on the thaw back in season one is the empire was upping their presence there and, and into season two, even a little bit. I figured they were mining for, you know, materials to build the Death Star. My whole thing has been the end game has to be the Death Star here. Um, <clears throat> uh, we don't really see these these Tie Defenders come up anywhere. I know that they were in a in the Tie Fighter video game back in the '90s. Um, but do you think this is something that'll actually get built, or is this something that's leading up to maybe the Rebels putting a putting a stop to this, Teresa? Um, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. You started talking about ships. Oh yeah, you don't like the ship thing. <laughs> well, let's talk. It's because I don't remember all of them. But um, well, the Tie Defender is the Tie Fighter with the three wings that they were building on this. On this okay. episode, no. yeah. Got it. Okay, so not the the ones with the two little sides. No, those are regular Tie Fighters. Okay. <laughs> um. I'm curious though. Okay, so like I know you were asking me a question, but I had another thought about yes, these things. Please. Why is everything blowing? Why do they suck at building things? Well, they were sucking. They're, they suck at building things, and they're all dying because they suck at building things. Well, they were doing it on purpose. Yeah, the oh. the rebels were, the factory workers were purposely sabotaging the vehicles so that they would blow up. Oh, see, I just thought that they were just sad little farmers that couldn't build things, and they were dying because no, they didn't No, no, that, w- that okay. was their plan. They were sabotaging okay. the Empire's weapons. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Well, then, while... I don't, then my point, never mind, forget my point. Well, while, while we're at it, speaking of the old TIE Fighter video game, uh, Ares, did you ever play the old TIE Fighter game? I did not. Me either. Oh, you guys are missing out. Okay, Cole, I was about to say, you're the EA man. <laughs> talk, talk to us yeah. about LucasArts TIE Fighter. I mean, this is going way back, yeah. right? Like TIE Fighter, TIE Fighter, 1994. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I won't reveal how young I was in 94, but I, I've played it much more recently. Um, well, there was a, TIE, a Fighter was, TIE Fighter was the sequel to X-Wing, right? Correct, yep. And so that game, you know, from a gameplay standpoint, right, you you have to introduce ever more powerful TIE fighters to be more interesting as you progress. And and the TIE Defender was arguably what the most powerful uh, TIE fighter in that game. Right? It, it, it was everything a TIE fighter isn't. It has shields and a hyperdrive. Uh, and it does have those three wings, but they're like they're kind of like inverted TIE interceptor wings. So this thing is just bristling with, with guns. Um, and in fact, I, I think they were so powerful like they're, they're really meant to be a match for a much heavier rebel craft so you need a tie defender to go up against something like a b-wing for example um and they don't make a ton of appearances until more recently but they were in actually um the disney interactive game star wars commander okay you yeah. played yeah, yeah. that yeah yep yeah. they did make an appearance there and if you look really closely in the death star expansion of star wars battlefront 
they were in that game as well. They're a power up, and you can you can collect those and now have this tie defender wingman on your on your tail and uh, help you out. And they are really powerful. And in in the game, they're built to take a lot of hits. And, and, uh, well, because they have shields, which is it's the first time a tie has had shields, correct? Yeah. Um, aside from maybe they mentioned that in the, in this episode too that it's got shields and it's got a hyperdrive. But it's the shields that make it because, you know, the, a normal TIE fighter, you know, they what do they call it? Uh, something like coffins or something like that. They're coffin jockeys, the pilots that fly them because there's no life support. There's no shields. It's they're like completely stripped down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, the only thing the rebels have on their side is they do have you know, more pilot friendly friendly technology. But if the TIE defenders on the battlefield now they have no advantage. Hmm. Well, so are do you think the Empire is really doing this, or is this just kind of a distraction from, uh, from, well, basically from the Death Star? I mean, is this just is this just a means for them to try to get get all eyes off of this huge, final you know project they're finishing up over, uh, you know, in a different part of the galaxy? In my mind, the Empire is so big that it, it they can have multiple projects going mm-hmm. on at any given time. And at the end of the day, I would have to think that you have to fill up a nice shiny new Death Star with nice shiny new ships too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of need all of it. And thus you have to exploit every planet you can get a hold of, uh, even if they're not directly working on the Death Star. That's a kind of how I think about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Do ships use gas? <laughs> well, the TIE Fighter is a twin ion engine, and so I believe it converts, what, ions into... Uh, propulsion speed. There's stuff. more that more that science again. Yeah. Remember, how Star much Wars does gas cost in it, Star Wars? Well, the Ghost uses fuel cells because we've seen them in previous episodes. They're low on fuel, and they've had to make stops yeah. to and this, steal fuel cells from storage bunkers and things like that. So there is there Tabana is gas. gas. To, yeah. Um, and then there's like hyperdrives and things like that. How much um, gas does a hyperdrive use? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you shopping for a fuel efficient starship? I am. I am. But the hybrid one. I want a hybrid, please. Well, no, I mean, look, TIE does stand for twin ion engine, guys. Serious business. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. that's what powers their propulsion and everything. I, yes. would, I want one that's going to be good for the environment of the galaxy. Well, TIE would fighters, that be the best? <laughs> kind of, kind of, because those panels are basically like solar panels in a way. Yeah. So, they and that's what gives them their propulsion power. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of these, 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 the building of these things, Cole. I understand you're a bit of a history buff. Yeah, You're into yeah. The I was a history major. Actually, I broke into StarWars.com writing a whole series about World War II and Star Wars. So oh. yeah, I love it. Well, then let's let's talk uh, experimental air programs from the U.S. and Germany during World War II. Uh, does this coincide with any of that stuff? I mean, I don't know if it was a direct inspiration, and until I hear otherwise, I'll just assume you know it's out in the ether. But to me, it reminds me most of the the Messerschmitt two sixty two. Ah, oh, the old so, Messerschmitt two sixty two. Yeah. yeah, we all know right? about that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone's everyone's favorite. Uh, Run it was, to it, the it, 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 it was 
It was a jet fighter that had the Germans got it into the battlefield earlier. They, they, it might have turned the tide of the war. For oh them. wow! I'm actually just joking around. Believe it or not, I almost double majored in history too, and World War II is one of my favorites. So I actually do know what Cole's talking about. <laughs> I just thought that I would like, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, Teresa, you're you're a bit of history buff yourself. So. I am. I'm a massive history buff. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> No, it, but to me, like, right, it, it's it's heavily armed, um, you know, fast, powerful, everything that Messerschmitt was. Uh, and Erich is right. Like, you know, by the time that that jet entered production and was built in any sort of numbers, it was really too late for Germany to have won the war. But you know, arguably in an alternate history, um, you know, it's conceivable that that the entire air war and the entire bomber campaign that the allies uh, carried out might have ended very differently had there been more German jets in the sky. So I think the tide defender is sort of being set up, at least in this story, to play that role, right? It's going to turn the tide against the rebels. Yeah, and um, and it does. I, you know, I think of, uh, I, I don't think of any of any of that stuff because I just don't know history as well. So I don't, I don't get into that. But... I tell you what I do think about when because they're doing the sabotage thing with as we mentioned earlier and that's why stuff's blowing up and that's why um you know the the wait am I getting it confused where the knees are weak at a certain point is that something else was that a book anyhow what on the walkers was there something about the knees being weak somewhere or was that something else I've read recently <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, one, one no, definitely no. crashes. Yeah. yeah. No, but you know, I think it's in Rebels Recon. It was a question mm -hmm. about why, on the Battle of Hoth, why didn't they just fire the rockets at the knee joints on the Adats like they did in these episodes of Rebels? And Pablo answered that the Adats that we see in the Battle of Hoth are a later model and are not as tall as these and so they they can take the punishment more that might be why you're thinking knee joints just throwing it out there okay i'm i'm still thinking hold on i'm going to come it's going to come to my mind anyhow um getting into the sabotage situation though and i mean because these rebels are now in a way even though they're forced labor to do this, they're almost like they're infiltrating these um, these facilities, and they're doing this. Uh, we mentioned World War II. Are there any connections to history there with with sabotage happening? Those kind of things in history, as as we see it here in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, again, I take it back to World War II because mm -hmm. that's what I know best. But you know, there are stories of like uh, of workers working on like the V two, the big you know flying bomb right mm -hmm. again it was supposed to be another sort of uh, super weapon wonder weapon that would turn the tide of the war but it was really too late but yeah there are stories of the the forced laborers there um you know maybe not not putting in the best work maybe sabotaging those rockets and uh certainly they were they were kind of fraught with flaws um but then again that's also really dangerous so uh, history would tell us just like this episode that you know, carrying out sabotage um, while you're right under the watchful eye of the people who are forcing you to do the work, it, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you take a lot of risk by doing that. And certainly in the past, there would have been you know, quality control and uh, you know, people's output often tied to uh, you know, their rations. And so uh, that form of, of rebellion, for lack of a better word, uh, is, is incredibly perilous uh, in history and uh, plays out this way in, in the show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, to the detriment of, uh, of man, I mean, like it... I think that's the moment where it got heavy. I mean, really heavy, where Maul makes the man ride the speeder until it blows up. And then I was like, oh, this is not going to be a fun return to, to Lothal at all. Um, until they get into the Walker fight. And by the way, speaking of Walkers, thanks to Will West in the chat, it's in the Ahsoka novel, where they talk about where Ahsoka's sending people in and they're taking out some Walkers by planting... Uh, corrosive type explosives in the knee joints of these things yes so that's that's where it was from i knew i was thinking sticky of something. bombs well sticky they weren't bombs <laughs> like in uh like in a saving, saving private, private. Ryan. Yeah. yeah um but uh but but they're the end the end fight with the with all the walkers i love adats uh that's always been one of my favorite vehicles from star wars i don't know that i'm alone in that so i'm not like saying oh look at me stepping out on a limb loving adats I do call them ATATs, not ATAT, uh, because I'm a lazy tongue Southerner. But um, but to see to see the little battle and to see Ezra kind of wedge the one Walker in between them so they couldn't get a clear shot, and then to turn around and the old switcheroo where they're actually in the Walker was just such a cool moment to me. Um, you know what what are we seeing from Ezra here, Eris, with his with this type of strategizing? I love that AT-AT fight. Yes. Steve, I call them AT-ATs also. Good. Well, we're brothers um, from another mother. And, you know, just because we keep making these these World War II connections, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, a tank battle. You know, and, and just the way he positioned his walker against the two larger ones and used the one as kind of a shield. Um, I love, too, that we saw the, the, the AT-AT kind of, kneel down on top of it like we've never seen a walker do that before you know at least one that wasn't damaged and right. was falling down so i thought that was kind of cool that we got to see that happen um but i think it just shows i think the thing that we're really seeing this season with ezra is this growing maturity he's no longer the kid that he was in season one he, it's all these experiences that he's had that are all coming into play and all informing the decisions that he's making. And, you know, in this case, like, you know, he's thinking on the fly and all right, I'm outgunned. I'm, I'm like, you know, outmaneuvered, like I, I have to outmaneuver them and stuff. I just thought it was really clever and also really exciting and cool to watch. Yeah. It reminded me also a little bit of Christmas vacation, easing in under the bigger vehicle. <laughs> okay. La 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 la. Um, so, <laughs> um, but let's get into the whole meat, real meat of this episode. The reveal. Teresa Callis uh, tells Kane and Ezra he's basically he's fulcrum that he's a fulcrum agent, and um, even even gives them the code to which <laughs> I love the. How does he know the code? <laughs> I love that response. Um, do you think he's legit or do you think he's playing the rebels? No, he's Fulcrum. He's, he's one of the Fulcrum agents for sure. 
he has a bromance going on with Zeb. So yeah, he was like, I think he's been he's been getting screwed over by the Empire, and he knows it. And it's only a matter of time before Thrawn kills him off, which we see that Thrawn knows. I think Thrawn really does know that Catalyst is is a fulcrum agent. He's got to run, man. So you think you think Thrawn knows? I do. Thrawn's not stupid. No, I'd he's be not. Of Thrawn. He's not. But you've got to. These guys have got to have a leg up somewhere. Cold does Thrawn know that Callus is fulcrum? Uh, to quote Kanan, maybe, maybe not. We'll figure it out later. Like mm-hmm. I, I think this is a thread that's going to yeah. take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, man, to me right now, it's flip a coin. Mm-hmm. I'm really torn about this one. Aris- I think it, it's. It, he may not know for sure that he's a rebel infiltrator of some sort or that he's defecting, but I think he can tell, like he can read tiny cues in a person, you know, and so he's picking up on little tiny things mm-hmm. and he's, you know, oh, so creepy. It creeps me out because if I was standing next to him, he'd be able to tell all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he's like a mind reader. This man assumed his high honors alone. Power and rank as red and blue brawn. For emperor and empire, for order and law. He'll crush this rebellion for once and for Um, Arish, can you comment on Thrawn knowing if Callus is or is not Fulcrum? I have to preface this by saying this is solely my fanboy opinion. No insider knowledge informing anything that I'm going to say here. Just my own own opinion. I I think Thrawn knows that Callus is Fulcrum. And I think Thrawn knows because it's part of of his master plan to take the Rebels down. Mm. Callus is playing he's playing a double agent here. He is he is working under Thrawn's leadership and guise and instruction to infiltrate the rebels. Aww. That that's what I think is going on. Oh, so you think okay. Not sideburns. I think that I think that he's Thrawn saw an opportunity to use this connection that Callus made with Zeb hmm. to infiltrate him as a fulcrum agent. Hmm. Man. And they're playing him. I that just think, me sad. I think it's I think it's too easy. And look, when we when, when this whole idea of the multiple fulcrum agents came up earlier this season. We talked about it, and we talked about the possibility of Callus being a fulcrum agent. Right. Um, I just think it's 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 all too it it's laid out too cleanly here. You know, we we had the you know when Fulcrum helped Sabine, that made sense because he was you know paying a debt that he owed. But now here he is again. He could have easily captured Kanan and Ezra. You know, and, and instead let them go and took a, a beating for it, too. And by the way, I love that scene where Kanan is just like, Ezra! It's like, yeah, but I wanted to do it. That was <laughs> funny. That was uh, funny. But I just, I, I think that there's more coming here. I think that 
this is all part of a big, huge master plan that Thrawn is building. Hmm. I don't. We're we're talking Thrawn here, like master strategist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's not going to get played by you know as and as much as. Callus has been a worthy adversary for the rebels. Like Thrawn's not going to get played by Callus. I don't think. Well, mm, I don't know, Cole. You've already said we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. I just i I feel like that's almost too complicated for what this show is. I feel like it's a little more straightforward, and I feel like that Callus. I feel like Thrawn may know, but Callus doesn't know that Thrawn knows. Yeah, that's very possible. Um, yeah, that the only person in the whole galaxy that can figure out Thrawn is Thrawn. Uh, I'd buy that. But I, I'm still waiting to see. Yeah, and then... But uh, although I, I think all this was worth it just because... For the one line where Chopper kind of hums, trust him, trust him, which was such a perfect throwback to 3PO and Empire Strikes that's Back. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That little moment there uh, was perfect for me. So whatever happens, it was all worth it just for that. And by the way, once again, uh, if you want to disguise your droid uh, to infiltrate um, the Empire, all you have to do is put a little black coat of paint on him, and mm-hmm. and he'll get by everybody. He'll fool it. No, no matter what model of droid it is, they'll uh, he'll fool everyone. You know, I brought this up with the the Harris Heroes episode where all they needed to do was send Chopper in in his Imperial droid disguise to retrieve the Calicori. And here's another case. All they needed to do was send Chopper in in his Imperial droid disguise to retrieve the plans for the Defender. Like, Kanan and Ezra didn't need to be there. They None of the... the None of the living beings needed to risk their lives when just sent Chopper in in his droid disguise. Hmm. That's true, and uh, it would make the episode a lot shorter. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot less interesting. Yeah, it'd just yeah. be Chopper rolling in. Here's my ID. Rolls into the room. Guy looks at him. Meh. Goes back to work. Chopper plugs in. Twirls. Got it. Gone. <laughs> Which speak- roll? Roll the credits. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Uh, speaking there of droids, go. I just wrote I just wrote a Star Wars Rebels episode. There you go, Chopper, hero of the rebellion. Uh, <laughs> um, well, the the final one of the final lines is from Thrawn when he says, "When we find a spy, when we find our spy, and we will find them," he says, "We shall turn them from an obstacle into an asset." Wouldn't you agree, Agent Callus? Oh, yeah, he knows. I I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Thrawn knows. <laughs> All right. Final final thoughts on this episode before we move on to visions and voices. Uh, Teresa? I think it was well done, and it gave us a, some real insight into who Thrawn really is, although we all kind of already knew that, but we actually got to see it, and they scared the bejesus out of little kids. Uh, Cole, your final thoughts about this particular episode? I just want to say it was great to see old Joe, the bartender, back again. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lincoln, you miss that him. That was him in the background, yes. wasn't it? Wasn't so it? he's actually driving one of those like family speeders with a with a E-Web 
you know, machine gun mounted on top. So he's driving a minivan with a machine gun. He he needs a whole spinoff series, I think. Old Joe. Old Joe. Uh, he would have been. That's who the uh, live action series would have been about primarily. Is old Joe almost certainly? Yeah. yeah, he he would steal the show from anybody though. I want to see an old Joe and a Dexter team up. Jetster oh, Dexter, wow. yeah, Dexter Jetster. I mean, uh, Arish, what are your final thoughts on on uh, this episode? Uh, whatever they were, just went out the window when you talked about <laughs> the team up with Dexter. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Every episode is them like cleaning glassware with an old rag, you know. Well, that's they how toss it, it on their well, shoulder and, at and the walk end, out. At the end of every episode, you get a recipe and a drink recipe to go with. Well, what I, listen, either that's either how the show opens or ends with them with them cleaning the glasses. Like every episode ends with them cleaning glasses after as they're talking out their adventure for the day. You know, like yeah, I can't believe we made it out of that one alive. You know, oh, they wow. have some joke. Yeah, definitely. There's a reason we don't write TV. Hmm. I don't and, and, because and, no one and, has discovered us yet, Cole. That's why. And Flo the waitress droid has to be in it also. You want some Jawa oh, juice, yeah. honey? You want yeah. some Jawa juice? <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into visions and voices here. Um, Eric. Yes, let's do. Yeah. Now, Teresa. Teresa Malgado. Mm-hmm, with with our guest Teresa Malgado, and. Um, Cole, this was a big one. This was their mid-season finale. Uh, what'd you think, man, overall? Real quick, out of the gate, just initial thoughts on this episode. The tension in the beginning was crazy. Um, I can't think of another uh, animated Star Wars episode that has done that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with Ezra seeing Maul or not seeing Maul, right. uh, the build-up there was great. Uh, Teresa? all right we got the evil Uh, left nice yay okay uh erish your thoughts on this episode well steve you know that any appearance of bendu just makes me happy indeed so i just i love and he was fantastic for his little cup of coffee cameo in this one um but it just made me so happy to see him so right there i love this episode Mm mm-hmm yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was really, really great. Of course, Sam Witwer was back as Maul. Tom Baker back as the aforementioned Bindu. Uh, written by Brent Friedman. He wrote The Last Battle uh, earlier this season. And um, Ezra sees those visions of Maul. And uh, so he joins Maul to go to Dathomir, of all places. And they get there to do this ritual so they can... Um, uh, get the vision that they were was broken when when the holocrons were joined and broken up and uh, they're trying to get both of their visions completed so they can have the answers to the questions that they want to ask and I think at some point that that we're finding out that it's all the same that the that the questions though they were different had basically the same answers as that planet with twin suns so Teresa Maul's your guy and, he is uh, my guy. And episode starts with Ezra seeing those visions that, that uh, Cole mentioned. I don't know that we've ever seen Star Wars uh, do like this. Was this a mall mind trick, or was it just a residual effect of the uh, the holocron situation? I think it could actually be both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a connection because of what happened with the holocrons, but I also think they have a connection because Ezra has dabbled in the dark side, and he has opened his mind up to that area of the forest 
And because of that, Maul is able to infiltrate into his head. It's very similar to the way that, and I always, I don't know why I always bring Harry Potter up, but the way that Voldemort can enter Harry's mind if he wanted to. And I love how Maul was there, but like not there, Mm -hmm. but still there. And Ezra's reaction and how he was actually really frightened of his connection that he had with Maul, which struck me as interesting because he was so wanting to go like down that path. But now he's frightened by it. But I think fear, fear is a path to the dark side. So Maul's just using his fear to try to convince him to go with him. Well, that's an interesting point. Cole, we were talking earlier this season about how much, Ezra would really delve into the dark side and if he was really done with the dark side. And Teresa, that's a great point that, you know, he's now he's now kind of, this is scaring him. He was anxious to go down that path and now he's a little scared of it. Cole, is, is Ezra completely done with dar- dabbling in the dark side, do you think? I, I feel like the way the, the episode ended, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, although he still has that Sith holocron, right? It's still sitting there in his bunk. Well, he has both of them, but I think they're they're broken. They're broken because during that vision from the first small episode, it kind of like exploded them. And so he can't really operate either. Sure, but but he's still like holding on to it. And and I think there's something kind of symbolic there um, that Ezra sees the world a little bit differently, right? He he didn't um, come into this, you know, with with all the... um, all the like past and all the rules of the Jedi. And so he's open to whatever, although I think he's seeing that the dark side isn't, um, isn't all it's cracked up to be. And, uh, there's certainly some danger there, but it, it, I just keep reminding myself that Ezra isn't a Jedi. Like, like we know them. Um, mm. and he doesn't have to play by those rules. Mm. Well, and that, you know, and that brings in kind of the conversation about Bindu because Bindu has mentioned that, you know, he's, you know, we've talked about he's neither dark nor light. He's somewhere there in the middle. And Arish, I know, as you mentioned already, you were glad to see Bindu's back. Um, what do you think uh, Kanan and Ezra, his value to them is? Is he just an information guy, or is there something more that Kanan feels like he can learn from him for he and Ezra both? Well, I certainly think that Kanan and Ezra see Bendu as as a possible teacher or uh, a source for knowledge I'm not sure how how willing Bendu is to play that role this episode he seemed a bit annoyed by their sudden appearance you know he had the great line you are not exactly quiet creatures um I get the sense that Bendu being, they've hinted that he is a creature that is very, very old. And so creatures that are that old, you kind of get the sense that their, their kind of life, it it flows on a slower track than ours. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, their base is not far from him. They can come and go to see him when they want. And I think that, the sense I got from him a little bit in this one was, oh, great, they're back again. Like, they have more questions. Why can't they figure this stuff out on their own? That was sort of, like, what I took from the his 
few lines of dialogue that he had with them this episode. So I'm interested to see where they're going to go with him if we do continue to see him show up in episodes as the season continues. But if he wanted nothing to do with them, then all he has to do is just not show up. Isn't that it? right, Cole? I mean, am I wrong there? Yeah, I mean, I also don't really understand what he's getting out of this. Like, in some regard, I think he's just a little annoyed that they keep showing up and knocking on his door. Um, maybe it's a curiosity, though, um, right? Because the galaxy's in a weird place right now. And he sort of watched the the Jedi potentially come and go. And maybe now he's just curious. Um, but yeah, he could just sort of disappear and and not be part of it if he wanted to. Uh, but I, I agree with Arish that I, I think he offers a wisdom to Kanan and Ezra that neither has had before. Um, and really that, like, you know, Kanan, for all of his experience, never would have had that kind of perspective. That's sort of neutral in the middle perspective of the force. Um, and so they're they're definitely gaining a ton from this relationship. And I don't know that Bindu's getting much. Well, the very fact that Kanan is able to walk around as he is, you know, being a blinded man who can't see, but is able to walk around as if he can <laughs> is due to the knowledge he gained from from Bendu. Hmm. Bendu mm-hmm. taught him how to walk that path. Um, and and I do think that I do think that in 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 some way Bendu does get some satisfaction out of parceling out this knowledge to them. You know, I think that, that Bendu was satisfied that Kanan took that lesson from him, and, and you know, in those earlier episodes that we saw with him. But now with you know with Maul showing up, yet yeah, here's another force user that's on my doorstep you know it, it's and you notice that he disappeared like immediately um you know i it's it might be a little bit too much for him now like i didn't want to be involved in all of this i was kind of happy to just work with you Kanan, but now the kids here and now the dark side users here and like what's going to be next well then well, for me <clears throat> sorry steve go ahead go ahead Teresa. Well, for me, Bindu, I, Bindu's not necessarily just a character in and of himself. I view Bindu as being a a manifestation of the Force. Like, he is the Force for me. You know, so if you were looking for what the Force looks like, Bindu is showing them ways of the Force, and that's all he is. And I think that he doesn't want Maul to have access to anything that he could possibly give him or, you know, to be taken advantage of because Maul is a dark side user and they don't have the control to understand that there are things that they don't need to know. And so I think that's why he disappears. But, you know, I don't know if he really needs to get anything out of it because he is the force. Hmm. I don't. Uh, let's go down speculation road just really quickly. I'm. I, I, this is just a thought that hit my mind, and I'm just curious as to what you guys think. Cole, in a in a in a world where Yoda meets and interacts with Bindu, what does Yoda think of Bindu? I don't know. Well, maybe maybe Yoda looks at Bindu almost like Kanan does. Like here's someone who can teach me something. Hmm. Um. I, I don't know. Maybe that that sort of uh, curious, fun-loving Yoda comes out right. at that moment, and now Yoda is the young being in the room. 
which is something we, right we never get to see in right, Star Wars. Yeah, right. yeah. Yoda be the young guy. Uh, I would love that in in my fantasy Star Wars. So so he would trust him, you think, and and kind of maybe be a little humble with him. I think so, right? Because I, I too get yeah. the sense that then do is ancient, right? Far more ancient than nine hundred year old years old could be. Hmm. Um, and so that would make yeah Yoda the one who needs to just shut up and listen. Hmm. And Yoda would recognize yeah. that, I guess, is what is what I'm asking. Eris, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think maybe the more interesting question is how would somebody like Mace or Anakin react to a oh, being like Bendu? I don't think Mace or Anakin would like Bendu at all. Yeah, I feel like somebody like Kiati Mundi would just start throwing the Jedi rulebook in Bindu's face, and <laughs> yeah. Bindu would be like, "Oh, you, oh, you just don't." Because understand. the thing is, like, yeah. the Jedi and the Sith are kind of, they're kind of like the extreme sides of the Force, whereas Bendu is that being that that sits in the middle. Hmm. Like to him, there really isn't a light side or a dark side. There is just the Force. Yeah, but I don't think. See, sometimes, though, when people take that middle road, they almost lean like he's walking that fine line perfectly because generally when people take that middle road, they they really do lean one way or the other. The only, honestly, Yoda post Revenge of the Sith, Yoda from Dagobah, I think, would be a would be a Yoda who would readily accept. And as you, you know, the cold way you put it would would listen to him. I don't think Yoda from Clone Wars or prior you know, Old Republic Yoda might have had anything to do with him. I think the only Jedi from the Old Republic that we know that would actually give any credence to Bindu would have been Qui-Gon. I, I kind of disagree with you. I think Yoda, I think Yoda at any time that we've, at any point that we've known him in the film saga, I think he would be open to a conversation with Bendu and would and would gleam knowledge, hmm. would learn knowledge from Bendu. So you don't think Yoda was inf- not infected? It's the wrong word, but you don't think he had this kind of the same. He wasn't kind of blinded by the same amount of pride and and the marriage to the dogma that like a Mace Windu and a Kiati Mundi were. No, no, okay. no. Yoda was Big no. always more the pragmatist and the thinker and. You know the. I, I think he went along with them at times, but no, he wasn't the one that was that was driving that the way Mace was. Yeah, he didn't turn his back on Ahsoka. He didn't, you know, get all. Ugh, no, don't even. Me and Mace are not friends anymore. So. <laughs> That's right. So. I forget. Teresa has a distinct distaste for Mace Windu. <laughs> well, yeah, after that. But see, I think it a lot of it comes from like that final that final season of the Clone Wars and when we see Yoda go through there what is it? Like two or three episodes? Yes, yeah. Where yeah, he's yeah. going through and he's learning a bunch of stuff and he's willing to learn like what Qui Gon has learned to find a way to come back through the force. Mm-hmm. And he he spends his time in solitude, you know, like I don't know what you call that, but like being one with the force and learning more from it. I think that Arish is right that he would he would learn from Bindu and he would appreciate what Bindu brings to things and he would allow himself in the way that he thinks about things to be challenged. Um yeah, because he's he hasn't turned political like Mace has and I wish Mace hadn't, but he did. 
he he lost sight of what his purpose was. Yeah, I still say every time I'm watching Revenge of the Sith and Mace Windu just looks up and says, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. I'm like, really? Now? Yeah. About time. Uh, <laughs> but anyhow, okay, that's just, I just wanted, that popped in my head while we were talking about Bindu, and I had to go down that path because I'm like, what would you would- think? I would love to see an episode that's just the conversation between Yoda and Bendu. <laughs> I would I would watch that. I would be fascinated by that. <laughs> I would read a whole novel that was just, you know, like my dinner with Andre. Do like my dinner with with Bendu. It's just <laughs> Tuesdays. Yoda, Yoda Tuesdays at Bendu. Bendu. Share, Yoda and Bendu just sharing a meal. Tuesdays at Bendu's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, cracking spider legs that's oh yeah <laughs> having a good dinner have some soup um <laughs> well let's get back on track with this episode um now ezra tells kanan maul won't hurt me he needs me that's one of the more mature moments we've seen from ezra ever um mm-hmm. what Where's this coming from, Teresa? Where's this maturity that we're seeing coming from? Uh, I think teenagers have moments of maturity that are masked by the majority of them being immature. <laughs> by hormones. I, yeah. No, I think that I think that when it comes to this stuff, I think Ezra has a sense and the knowledge that Kanan doesn't and it's because he's interacted with Maul and it's because he's interacted with the holocrons and he has opened himself up to more parts of the force than Kanan has and I think that he understands Maul to an extent um it's kind of like with Hondo he understands Hondo, but only to an extent, because he's blinded by the fact that Hondo is really not the best guy, and that Hondo is out for himself. And But I think he knows that about Maul, but he also has to be cautious, and he understands that for something like this, he he's not indispensable. Um, you know, and I think he's he's smart. He's a smart kid, but... Makes bad choices. Yeah. Was it a bad choice to go with Maul? No. Mm-hmm. I think he needed to. I think he needed to understand because now they know where Maul is going and now they know what is happening. And we've always had the missions of the ghost crew and then kind of what's going on with these two Jedi. And I think that this is their path that they have to take is to figure out how they can contribute to the rebellion because the force and the force users have to be willing to contribute to it as well. And we learn that as we go through the original trilogy that Luke has to discover what his path is and how he can help the rebellion through what he can do as one of like the remaining Jedi. Um, so he, he had to go with them. Hmm. Well, to that point, Teresa, you said they kind of know, where they need to go now they know where maul is going but they really all they know is a planet with two suns cole do you think that they're going to figure it out i mean do you think we'll actually get to see the ghost crew interact with everyone Uh, maul knows where he is he says it makes sense that it would end where it began and for maul uh his his confrontation you know with qui-gon took place on tatooine of course obi-wan was there whether he realized that or not um do you think that they're 
I mean, how do you think this is this may play out? What does this mean? Are we going to see the ghost crew on the tail of Maul? You know, and as they're trying to avoid Thrawn, or are they just going to have another accident, incidental run-in? I guess with Maul, do you think? How's this going to play out for them? Well, I have to think this isn't the last we're going to see of Maul, and he's very clearly, you know, heading somewhere very specific here. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The the fandom in, in me wants them to just chase him immediately, mm-hmm. and and get there right. And like, and, and as soon as that that scene's playing out right and he's talking about the plan with the twin sons and of course it is um right i i had that flashback to maul arriving on tatooine the first time pulling up those macro binoculars or maul you know writing down anakin and qui-gon right and i have to think all that's kind of going through his head at that moment um and and that period of maul's life is really really formative right because it's not long after that he ends up on naboo and ends up cut in half and uh falls down a shaft so like that that era was sort of the peak of maul um as we saw him in the phantom menace and and he's immediately transported back there Mm -hmm. is 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 formative the understatement of the show, Erish, that these that, that was a formative era for Maul? Uh, I, Cole, I'm picking on you a little bit there. I it was it was life altering. You know, he went from being the apprentice of of the Sith Lord to you know holding himself together on spider legs with the Force and going nuts on a trash planet somewhere. And I I think Maul is. A- more dangerous character now Mm -hmm. than he was before when we saw him in phantom menace he wasn't his own man he was he was sidious's apprentice he you know he could only do what sidious wanted him to do maul is living his own life right now he is making his own decisions he's doing what he wants to do he's going where he wants to go and he has all of this knowledge his his room, his lair there on Dathomir was very interesting to see all the little Easter eggs that were sprinkled throughout there. You know, he's got the, the painting of Satine on the wall. He's got the Mandalorian helmets from when he ruled Mandalore. He's got the dark saber. He has all, he's got battle droid heads in there. He's got all these things sprinkled throughout the room that like speak to the experiences that he's had that have brought him here he's learned from all of that um well according to the episode guide at starwars.com in the trivia section the sith writing written on the wall there translates to kenobi yeah um he uh he is a bit of a man possessed right now he's possessed or obsessed with kenobi um, that's that seems to be what's driving him at this point now that he knows that Kenobi is still alive. But I think he's a very dangerous individual moving forward. Dangerous to who? That I guess that's my question, Teresa. Who is he dangerous to? Is he just dangerous to Ben Kenobi? Is he dangerous to the Ghost Crew? Is there something... What do you think his... Obviously, right now, his endgame is vengeance on Kenobi. We, we, that's kind of been clear from the two episodes we've seen him in this ep- this season but at, beyond that let's say let's say we know how it's going to play out i guess because you know or at least whether he gets to him or not we don't know but we know that ben's going to survive until vader kills him spoiler alert everybody 
Uh, that's in the sequel to Rogue One. Um, <laughs> but in a world where Maul survives, in a galaxy where Maul actually gets his vengeance on Kenobi, what else has he got? What's next? Well, he yeah, asked a couple of questions. Um, who is he a danger to? Uh, I think he theoretically could probably be a danger to anybody, but I think more than anything, he's a danger to himself at this point. And I think that we're slowly seeing a person who has gone a little bit cuckoo bananas and he is kind of unraveling at the seams and going to find Kenobi, he feels like is going to be his vengeance and he's going to be able to get back on top like he was trying to do in the Clone Wars but I think it's slowly going to be his undoing uh, and going and seeing Obi-Wan is just going to you know probably end him and not necessarily in the sense that Kenobi kills him and not necessarily any of that but just he doesn't seem as quick to violence as he used to be He's more dangerous because he has like a Thrawn like quality, I'd say, with that whole like kind of thinking about stuff and contemplating and like, you know, trying to set things up and like all this stuff that I don't know if it's going. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a fight, or I say obviously, I feel like it's obvious there's going to be some sort of a fight. But I think it's going to be like a highly intellectual fight, which we don't really see with Maul. He's more brute force or has been in the past. Mm-hmm. But he seems more, I don't know, intellectual right now. But as far as like what's going to happen to him, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they've, I have given up on trying to figure out what's going to happen to Maul because he continues to stay alive, and I wonder if he is going to just lose his marbles completely mm-hmm. and just be the shell of a of a being. Or or, Arish is Maul Snoke. The, the great oh, survivor. God, no. <laughs> See, I'm actually no. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Maul gets defeated on Tatooine, not killed, but defeated, like maimed, mm-hmm. d- destroyed, and he winds up becoming a Tuscan Raider, and he is actually the Tuscan Raider that attacks Luke in A New Hope. <laughs> You know, if you'd have told me in 1999, it would be 2016 and we'd still be talking about Darth Maul and the unknown future of Darth Maul, I would have said you were crazy. Hmm. That's that's what's amazing about Maul. Right? Is he's this uh, this amazing character? Obviously, you know, people love in a very twisted way, and he just he's given more. Yeah, he's such a cooler character now than he was in the Phantom Menace, where he yeah. had like you know what two lines of dialogue, and, and yeah. now he's just like he's so well rounded, and Sam Witwer just nails him with his performance. Like, and, and in this particular episode, like you know, at the beginning of the episode, he's like he's kind of doing his Thrawn impersonation, like you know, tight lipped, speaking very low calm cool and then he has that moment with ezra where he basically just loses it like when ezra won't go with him and he's like almost begging and pleading and then he gets angry with him and stuff and it's just like this whole gamut of emotions and ranges and stuff that sam had to play in this episode was a fantastic yeah yeah Teresa, why is he so dead set on having ezra be his apprentice do you think 
Uh, I'm not, I haven't quite figured that one out other than that I feel like he, he feels like he needs someone, you know, he's always kind of had someone, he had his brother for a while and then he had, he doesn't seem to do well on his own and I think he feels like he needs someone else to sort of help him feel like he's doing the right thing in his eyes, like, you know, obviously not the right thing for everybody, but the right thing for himself. Mm-hmm. And I think he really would like to try to rise back up into the world, not necessarily of the Sith, but of some sort of power. And in order to do that, you need somebody that's following you. And I think in a way he might possibly feel like he's a failure and a loser and, you know, he's all by himself again. He has, he basically has nothing. He has a cave on Dathomir with drawings on the wall and Satine on the wall. And, you know, and then of course, Anna Graves who played Satine ends up being one of the voices of the night sisters that start possessing people, you know, so that's kind of cool. Didn't know that. Yeah. You know, but he's, he's, he's like that crazy, you know, hermit guy. He's losing his marbles. He's losing it. He's losing it. Well, let's let's talk about this vision real quick. A, a couple of things, and and uh, and I know we've got to wrap her up, but um, I do want to talk about this vision because there is a little bit of chatter about it in the chat. Back in the episode where they combined the holocrons, uh, Maul was looking for peace, I believe, and Ezra was looking for the way to destroy the Sith, and because the connection got severed and everything, their visions seem to be incomplete. But here they seem to both be sharing the same vision as though their answer is in the same place. And I guess they both assume it's Kenobi. Um, You know, Ezra was the one that saw the twin sons back in the original vision, if I recall correctly. And, um, and, And I always felt like that was just pointing him in the direction of Luke. That's how the Sith are going to be destroyed is through Luke Skywalker. Um, and so it's easy to, <laughs> because Kenobi and Luke are in the same place, it's easy to kind of get those things confused. Um, do you think that that the Force or whatever vision there is showing Ezra that Kenobi is the key to, to destroying the Sith? Or or do you think it's a matter of, of the visions being confused, Cole? Um, a little bit of both, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, very clearly, they each saw Kenobi, mm-hmm. um, and then they each saw the twin sons, and and without both of those pieces of information, right? It was incomplete, and that's why they had to do the the crazy mind meld thing. Um, but I mean, really, Kenobi and defeat the Sith. I mean, ultimately, isn't that the same idea, right? You 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 we we kind of know how this story plays out in the long long right. long run. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is kind of the same idea. Um, although, like, just the thought of Maul knowing anything about Kenobi and thus Luke terrifies me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's a really bad combination there. Um, and I think it just ups the stakes as we go into the next half of the season. Yeah, for sure. For sure it does. And, you know, you, you just wonder how close these guys are going to get to Luke Skywalker if they're going to get there. Like I say, my, my question is, will we ever actually really see the Kenobi Mall showdown, or will they stop him before they get there? Um, moving on to just a couple other little minor points. Erish, we, we in this episode, uh, one, of the, one of the relics that was in Darth Maul's sanctuary there 
was that old dark saber um, that we first saw in the hands of uh, Pre Vizsla back in the Clone Wars. It now resides in the hands of Sabine. Are we going to see Sabine use it again? I mean, I know that's kind of a fanboyish kind of, hey, Sabine might have that thing to use again. Or is this going to affect maybe her standing with the rest of the Mandalorians, you know, wielding that weapon? It could. I get the sense that in some ways the Darksaber is sort of similar to Excalibur. Mm-hmm. You know, and that he who wields the Darksaber like, is able to lead the Mandalorians. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting. We don't we don't quite know where Mandalore stands. You know, we saw it at the end of the Clone Wars, the big civil war. Uh, you know, Satine died and stuff. You know, where do the clans stand? Are they are they united? Are they separated? Like, I, I'm very curious to see where they're going to go with that, with Satine and, and possessing the, the Darksaber. Is it something that she's going to use? Maybe she passes it on to somebody else um i think it's kind of a cool little thing plus it's just the coolest looking sword in star wars too it is it is a cool looking sword and you know the animation being slightly different on rebels than it was uh on the clone wars uh it has a little bit of a different look to it but still really cool to see it brought back out again and the sound effect for it brought back out and uh it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see where they go and wrap up. But, Teresa, I didn't realize that uh, Anna Graves was the voice of the uh, those ghost sisters that were possessing people. She was one of them. Meredith right. Salinger. Meredith Salinger, yeah. Well, I thought it was really... I, I think that's a really cool piece of information that she that she was one of those. And that was kind of a, a freaky deal. We've seen zombie night sisters before, but, you know, seeing the ghost night sisters... Um, is that threat over? Did did Ezra officially defeat the Night Sisters once and for all by striking the altar there? I don't know if you can ever really defeat the Night Sisters, but he definitely got rid of that aspect of them being able to come back by, like cracking the altar, mm-hmm. um, because they needed that. Although we didn't talk much about it, but I loved that whole aspect of using the Night Sister magic and all that stuff and being back on Dathomir. I love the Night. Well, she cut out again. <laughs> Teresa? She's probably still talking. Yeah. That was really cool for me. Okay. What well, was... Okay. I, there's where you cut out. I love the night... And then it was... That was really cool for me. Oh, uh, wow. Essentially, I love the Night Sisters. Okay. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now, did anybody else get Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes? When the spirits are swirling around bit, the altar, yeah. I didn't until you just said it just now. Yep, I, it was it was like uh, like we had just opened the ark. Indeed, it was indeed. Now, did I've got a question? He got the one out of Sabine by getting her out of the temple. Did he never get the one out of Canaan? Is is Canaan no, get the did. one out of Canaan? He did. He he oh, offered himself that's up right. in Canaan's place. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're then right. And they left Canaan, and then he destroyed the altar before they could possess You're right. Him. That's right. You're right. Okay, I for, I'd forgotten about that little exchange there. And to me, that was the moment that more than even him going along with Maul the way that he did really spoke to the maturity that we've seen out of Ezra in, in some different ways that he kind of he got it figured out. Ezra is almost that... 
I mean, he's ended the Clone Wars. Uh, for all intents and purposes for right now, he's ended the threat of the Night Sisters. Um, is there anything this kid... I mean, the only thing this kid's not going to do he is... He could end the Sith. Yeah, that's the only thing he's not going to do. We know how the Sith end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ezra's just kind of playing all the assists to Luke, so <clears throat> getting Luke set up for success. Way to go, Ezra. We do appreciate you, sir. Well, um, any anything else we're missing? Any final thoughts on this episode, Erish? I just, I, I think if we if we look at these these last two episodes, I think we have a really strong second half of the season to look forward Agreed, to. Yeah. I mean, all the little threads that they've planted here, the the Callus's fulcrum thread, the what is Thrawn's overall strategy, what you know, what's coming from him, the 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 basically the the cannonball run to Tatooine that we have now, with with Maul and Kanan and Ezra. I've got to, which who's going to get to Tatooine first? Will we see Kenobi? You know, will we see Luke? Like, you know, I just I'm so excited about what's to come. And and Sabine, like, you know, is Sabine going to unite the Mandalorians? You know, are they going to become a power in the universe again? There's like so much. Like, my head is going to explode. Unite the clans, uh, Cole. We, you're... we always wanted country of our own <laughs> uh, you fought with Wallace now fight you fought with Vizsla now fight with me yes. um, <laughs> uh, Cody. Well, and she she is clan Vizsla isn't she right yeah 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 she's she is she is of the house Vizsla the clan Vizsla something she's of the clan something house something but it all has goes back to that Vizsla situation um, Cole you got any final thoughts wrap up thoughts about this particular episode uh, you know, normally this mid-season break, like this would be a killer. Luckily, we have Rogue One to get us through. Oh, indeed, but, yeah. Man, did they set us up for some great things. And, indeed. And the show can't come back soon enough. Agreed, agreed. Teresa, this was your boyfriend's episode before we head into the mid-season hiatus. What would you think and final thoughts on this episode? It was really good. I, I really enjoyed the episode, and I think they're setting up for some really exciting stuff to come in the next half of the season. The thing I am concerned about, though, is that they're going to show this, excuse me, and they we're not going to see anything until, like, the end of the season, mm. which Rebels seems to do, that they, they start a thread, and then they have one-off, 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 and then they, you know, bring the thread back up, and I would like to see more of, like, a continuous story, like we started to get with the Clone Wars towards the end, where each episode sort of fed into the, the next, mm -hmm. um, kind of like you get with a drama um, but you know, that probably won't happen, but it would be nice if they kind of continued this storyline through the rest of the season rather than just right now. And then five episodes from now. Well, you, you know, um, I, I agree with you, but you got to also remember that that threat of Thrawn is still out there. That's true. So, you know, I, there'll be, I think that what they've done is last year, you know, um, the the night brother and the night sister that they had not night brother and night sister the uh the fifth brother and the seventh sister or the seventh son whatever they were called those inquisitors they weren't quite the uh the threat i think that that we originally thought they may be and so 
until Ahsoka and Vader were on screen, it just seemed like they were marking time. Well, here with the threat of Thrawn and the way that he's been written and the way that he's been integrated in the story, it's almost like, man, things are just closing in on all sides for our team. And, um, and so I do think there'll be some substantial storytelling, even if we do have to wait till the end of the season to see this particular part of it resolved. Um, but I'm like you, I'd, I'd rather him come right back in January and hit it up because I don't, I don't know that I want to wait, uh, wait on this to be done. So <laughs> we um, need time to see rogue one a bazillion times. Agreed. Do we know when, <laughs> when they're coming back? Is it, Feb- I, is it going to be February, January, or February? I think it's February. Okay. I thought the, the Andy Gutierrez said they'd be back in February. All right. At the end of the last Rebels recon? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch that recon yet, so um, so I haven't. I, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, it's January. January. Oh, it's okay. January? Even better. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. <clears throat> That'll work with me. So, well, uh, that wraps us up, ladies and gentlemen, on this episode of, uh, of Rebel Yell. We, um, Cole, we thank you so much for being with us, sir. Oh, and, thank you for having me. It was great. Yes, sir. And you're welcome back anytime. Now... I don't want to speak out of turn, you know, you being the player insights manager on EA Star Wars games. I saw some art online today, or maybe a screen cap of the uh, Rogue One downloadable content for Battleground. Is that coming about soon? Um, the Rogue One Scarif DLC is already out Okay. Uh, for, for season pass holders. So, yeah, check it out if you haven't already. All right. I, I'm not a gamer that much like I used to be, so I don't... And I'm not good at those. Ba- I was never good at those Battlefront games as bad as I wanted to be good. I and just... I just got to throw this out there. If you guys go to any of Cole's book signings or you go to any of his signings at conventions, bring him little presents. He likes little presents during his <laughs> signings. You know, it could be a gum wrapper or a bottle cap. What? Or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. Just little presents. And oh. no one gives little presents like Arish does. Hmm. All right. Assorted, assorted colors of Nordic fish. Like, just whatever. Little presents. It makes his day. <laughs> and hey, and he'll even sketch BB-8 for you. So, good old, cir- That's right. good old circle, semicircle. Um, <laughs> hey, do you stick a little line out with a torch on it for a thumbs up from BB-8? Whoa. Well, uh, next convention now. season. Yeah, come, come Star Wars Celebration in April. Uh, you'll be the first one. Yes, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Uh, you can follow Cole at Cole Horton on Twitter. Uh, you want to interact with us on the show, we'd love for you to do so. The, the email is vaulttalk at gmail.com, vaulttalk at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Disney Vault Talk and Instagram as well. Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at Ice Cold Penguin. Penguin. Uh, <coughs> Ar- Arish is at Darth underscore Duff. And uh, I'm at Steve Glosson. You can follow the entire Goliverse at Goliverse on Twitter to know when we're going live, to know uh, what shows are coming out, that sort of thing. And uh, we appreciate you following us and, and boosting our social media presence that way. We thank you so much for all that. If you want to support the shows, it's the holiday season. Use those links at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com to do your Amazon shopping, entertainment earth shopping, think geek shopping. It all helps the shows out. If you want to do it directly, you can support us at Patreon. At patreon.com slash geekoutloud, as well as grab the satchel player for your uh, try out, try that player out for your podcast catching app. It's available on Android and um, and the Apple Store. So uh, check it out. The satchel player 
If you can't support monthly, but every now and again you think, I'd like to be able to support these guys, there's a support button right there where you can chip in and help the shows out when you're listening. So, And the Satchel Player is a good stable app you can use uh, if, if you're looking for a good, it's free, if you're looking for a good player. So uh, check it out and uh, let them know you heard about it over here on in the Goliverse because uh, they love us and we love them. Well, for Cole Horton, for Eris Chernevice, and for the lovely, talented, and powerful Teresa, who we were so glad to have back, I'm Steve Gloss, and we'll see you next time on Rebel Yell. Yeah.